Father, those of us who are in Christ, we live ransomed lives. You have paid for our lives. And Lord, we are deserving, we were deserving of punishment and death. But because of your Son, we have been made free and alive. So, Father, help us just to take these few seconds that those of us who are in Christ, Lord, help us to cherish and love what you have done to save us, your grace, your mercy. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Joe, and uh, I am one of the pastors here at Lighthouse. And uh, good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Oh, Thank you. I did not expect that, and that's not why I said that. <laughs> I hope you had a safe one, a uh, safe New Year's Eve last night. My family and I, we flew back from uh, sunny and warm Los Angeles where we were vacationing. Actually, it rained for the last day and a half, but we flew in here last night to be received by the cold and the snow, partial snow. But we're glad to be back. I uh, hope you had a good holiday, too. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series, as Pastor Abe said, uh, and it's this new series called Generous Justice, and we're focusing on the topic of justice. And the title of the series uh, comes from Tim Keller's book of the same name, uh, and which many of our discipleship groups are going to go through and study, and uh, we're going to go through it together. And I just want to clarify something. Uh, we didn't create this justice series that we're going to go through in the next seven years so that we could study this book. We're going through justice as a series and as a topic because it's important, and, and not really to go through this book. This is going to be used as a guide and as a tool for us to understand justice a lot more, but we're not going through this topic of justice to serve this book. We're going through the topic of justice because it's important to God's heart, and that's what we're going to do for the next uh, six to seven weeks. Now, I want to share an observation I was gone from Lighthouse for about seven years, and I've been back now for about three, three and a half. We came here August 2013, and I just want to make an observation about Lighthouse uh, as it relates to the topic of justice. I've observed that for the last three years and four months that we may not all be on the same page when it comes to justice. Now, this is just my observation. Don't kill me, Okay. I don't think we're all on the same page when it comes to the topic of justice. I think that there is a group of people here at Lighthouse who have grown immensely in their understanding uh, of justice. They've read up on the topic. Uh, they've gotten involved in projects and conferences. Uh, they've invested heavily into organizations like International Justice Mission. I think there's that group here that exists and has been growing, I think, since 2009, when we as a church began to look more deeply into what God is calling us to do as a church. Then there's a group of people here at Lighthouse who want to grow and learn more about justice, but maybe limited in time and resource. Like, I want to learn more, but I'm limited. And some of those people, some of you may be intimidated even by the topic of justice. Some of you may be even wondering, what is justice? Like, well, how do I get involved? It's so intimidating. I'm a, I'm a house husband. I'm a housewife. I work a nine-to-five job. How do I get into this topic of justice? Because I want to know more. Then, 
There may be a group of people here at Lighthouse who see the subject of justice as important, but it's not a priority. There's other things that are a priority in a Christ follower's life. And then there's a group of people here at Lighthouse that are just not moved at all by this topic. Like, justice is for those people. I don't care about it. They do it. Uh, my purpose here for this sermon is not to get everybody on the same page. My purpose this morning, one is to kick off the series, my purpose this morning is to talk about the one strand that I think connects all of us as followers of Christ. There is one strand, one huge strand that connects everybody wherever you are on this topic of justice, and that is God's grace. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the thing that binds us all, and I think that could move us forward in this area of justice, is God's grace. And this is what I'm going to unpack this morning. My goal this morning is not to help us to be on the same page. My goal this morning is to talk about God's grace and how understanding God's grace will help us to understand justice, to move us forward. My main idea here this morning is this. God's grace leads you God's grace, what God has done, what Jesus has done, God's grace leads you to generously offer grace and justice to a broken world. That's my whole message in a nutshell. And if you want to follow along with me, there is a, a, an outline in your worship programs, and I want you to take it out, and I want you to follow with me, because sometimes I could be pretty boring, you're going to start nodding off, it gives you something to do and to hold. Um, but it helps you to track and follow what I'm going to say this morning. And this is this main idea, God's grace leads you to, off, to generously offer grace and justice in a broken world. Let me pray for us, and then I'll continue on with our message, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. And Lord, I, I want to be really careful here this morning not to send us off into doing good works for the sake of doing good works, uh, or not to uh, do good things in this world because, simply because it's broken. Help us, Father, this morning to understand more about what you have done in our lives and what you're doing in this world and how we could move and be a part of what you are doing in this broken, fallen, badly in need of a Savior world that we're living in. And so much of that, Lord, has to do with your grace. So help us to understand it. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to this idea and to this topic of justice. Lord, what would you have us to learn here? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before we start talking about justice, I have a question for you. How does doing justice differ from sharing or offering compassion to this world? Justice or compassion, what's the difference between the two? In an interview with Ignite Magazine, singer David Crowder, do you guys know who David Crowder is? Uh, he's written tons of worship songs that we use now. Uh, in an interview, singer David Crowder shared how a friend of his helped him to differentiate between showing compassion and doing justice. Compassion, he says, compassion is when we're all sitting down on the side of a river and we're watching people go down this river drowning and we respond by pulling those people out. That would be compassion. He says, but justice, justice is when, we, when someone pokes their head up and says, you know what, I'm going to go upstream 
and I'm going to see who keeps throwing everyone into the water. You see the difference? Compassion is like relief. It's like someone is drowning, they're dying, they're, they're drowning, I'm going to pull them out. That's relief, that's compassion. Justice would be if we poked our heads up, looked upstream and said, who the heck is throwing people down the river? What's the, what's the cause of, of, of people going down the river and drowning? Who, what's, what's causing all that? To do the work of justice would be to address the root issues, to go there and to be a part of what God is doing to stop that injustice. For instance, part of what we did during the four weeks of Advent, Advent, and we did Advent Conspiracy, part of what we did there is to show compassion. For example, World Vision, right, this organization, Christian organization, they saw a need for clean water in Africa because there wasn't as available clean water for people to drink. So what did we do in response out of compassion? We raised $20,000 to provide relief for 400 people for one year. That is an act of compassion. Now, to do the work of justice would be this. It would be to poke our heads up and ask, what could we do to stop the clean water shortage in Africa? How do we stop that? You know, not having clean water to drink is unfair. It is an injustice. How can we put an end to that unfairness? That would be to do the work of justice. So you see, there's a difference there, compassion and justice. Now, why is it important to understand God's grace? I'm going to go back to the the main topic of God's grace. Why is it important to understand God's grace as it relates to justice? Understanding... Basically, why should you listen to this message? Understanding and remembering God's grace is the most compelling reason to do the work of justice in this world. Understanding and remembering, and I wouldn't even say just remembering, understanding and carrying with you wherever you go what God has done for you is the most compelling reason to do justice and to be part of the work of justice in this world. Basically, If you're a follower of Christ and you have received His grace, if you have received salvation, it involves you. And it's not just a piece of your life. The gospel is the whole part of your life, and there's something in there that should compel you and move us forward in the area of justice. God's grace leads you to generously offer grace and justice to a broken world. It's like God has done something for you. He saved your life. He offered grace. Now, what what are you going to do with it? The logical thing would be, hey, God has done something great and offered me grace. I want to do the same thing to a broken world. I want to unpack this a a lot more uh, in this passage, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to, to read through this with me. And I'm not making all of this up. I want us to look into the New Testament. Over the next six or seven weeks, we're probably going to dive into a lot of Old Testament passage I want to start with the New Testament and address what Jesus has done in our lives to kick us off. So if you've got your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through 8 with me, and this is what we're going to unpack this morning. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. 
At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Some key points about this as it relates to justice. Number one, the world is full of brokenness and selfishness. The world is full of brokenness and selfishness. The world that we live in is filled with hate, it's filled with deception, and it's filled with enslavement. And you don't have to take my word for it. I got to turn on the news, pick up the newspaper, look online. There is a war that's going on right now in Syria, and it's supposed to be a civil war, but it's turning out to be anything but a civil war. Other countries are jumping into this war in Syria because they have their personal stake, and as a result of this world war that other countries are, be, are getting involved in, including the United States. And these days, I, when I turn on the news and I see the U.S. involvement in Syria, I can't even tell which side of the war we're on. But as a result of this civil war in Syria, we're seeing, I think, one of the largest refugee crises in history. In East Asia, there are governments and government officials who are promoting the sale of young girls and boys to prostitution. And we saw this when we were going through Advent Conspiracy, and we have made great progress in this area, but it still exists. And there are government leaders and there are governments in East Asia that are not only turning their backs or turning their eyes away from it, they're actually promoting it. And here, here in America, over the last three years, we have experienced, actually not experienced, it has been brought to the surface that we are still a racist country, that racism still exists here in this country. And it isn't because one person was elected to the president and all of a sudden we're all racist. It has existed, and we thought we've taken care of it. No, it's still around. And what's happened over the three years, the last three years, is that racism and the fact that we haven't solved it has just been brought to the surface. We live in a broken, messed up, selfish world. Wouldn't you agree? Now, why is it broken and why is it selfish? Well, it isn't because all of those people over there are broken and selfish. It's because of us. And what is the cause of brokenness? What is the cause of hate, deception, enslavement? Jesus says in Matthew 5.19, He says there's one cause of that. It's the human heart. That is desperately wicked. And this is what it says in Matthew 15, verse 19. This is what Jesus says. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, 
false testimony and slander. That is the condition of the human heart. That is the condition of leaders who are running governments, who are turning their eyes away from injustice. That is the condition of their hearts, and that is the condition of my heart. That is the condition of your heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked and in need of a cure and a solution. Injustice isn't happening over there because of those people. We are part of the injustice. Again, America, when you look at you open your eyes, it's still here. Racism, injustice, the bad that still exists. The world is full of brokenness and selfishness. And before living for Christ, your heart, my heart, was in the same condition. And we read that in verse 3 of the passage in Titus. He says, at one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and also hating one another. The world is filled, filled with brokenness and selfishness. And before Christ, before Christ entered into our lives, before we submitted our lives to Christ, so are you and I. And in fact, and, I, and this is me, I still struggle to be a redeemed person. God is still shaping my heart. God is not done with me. God is still cleaning out my heart and redeeming me and causing me to rethink about how I should view this world and my actions and my thoughts. So, first point, the world is filled with brokenness and selfishness. Second thing is, in Christ, you are saved by grace through faith. In Christ, you are saved by grace through faith. Like Jesus said, there is a lot of evil that comes out of the human heart. And no matter how much good you and I have done, doing good still doesn't cure a heart that's capable of evil. We could do all the good that we want. It still doesn't solve the, the, the problem of our heart. It's still wicked. Why? Because every good thing that I do, every good thing that I do, well, the bad that I've done before that good thing or even after that good thing, it completely cancels out whatever good I've done. So if I say, well, I'm a good person because I've done this thing that's good, well, every bad thing that happens after that good thing is going to cancel out that good thing. And every bad thing that I've done before doing that good thing cancels that good thing out. So if my economy and if my system is based solely on what I do or what I've done, then I have to be judged on the bad things that I've done just as much as the good things that I have done. That would be fair, wouldn't it? That would be just, to be judged on what I've done that's good and what I've done that's bad. That would be fair. That would be justice. So every good thing that I do gets canceled by every bad thing that I do, which gets canceled by every good thing that I do, which gets canceled by every bad thing that I do, which gets canceled by every good thing, every bad thing. You see what I'm saying? It's this vicious cycle. If my economy and my system is that I do good things, that's what saves me, then I have to be judged more fairly than that, and I have to take into account every bad thing that I've done. So it's this crazy, vicious cycle. I do good, then I do bad. I do good, then I do bad. And when I think I'm safe because I've done something good, I turn around and I do something bad. And it's like this vicious, terrible cycle. It's almost as if 
we need someone to save us. We need Jesus who can take our unrighteousness and the bad that we have done. We need Him to come and remove the unrighteousness and the bad that we've done, place it on Himself so that it could be nailed on the cross with Him when He dies. There is no good in us that's good enough to save us. We need a Savior who could take all of the bad that we've done, place it on Himself, go to the cross, nail it on the cross, and when He dies, He destroys it. And then when He lives, when He gets resurrected, then we get to live new lives, redeemed heart. We need a Savior. You and I need a Savior who offers the free gift of grace. In Titus 4, 5, we read this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, not because of the good things that, he, that we've done, but because He was merciful, but because of His mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, it says this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the what? It is the gift of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says this, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, we didn't deserve His kindness, with undeserved kindness, He declares that we are righteous. He places us on a right standing with Him, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. He did this to Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. We need a Savior who can offer us the free gift of grace, who can declare us righteous. And what we receive from Jesus is not justice. Let me clarify this. What we receive from, from Jesus is not justice because if, if we were looking for justice, then we would have been dead. What we receive from Jesus instead is something better and something greater, something more extraordinary than justice. We received grace. We didn't deserve it but he did it anyway because he loves us. Louis B. Smeeds writes this. He says, at the cross, at the cross, God was punishing Jesus for the sins of the world. God's justice required a penalty from sinners, which is you and I. And in his unspeakable love, he paid the penalty himself in the person of his crucified son. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He removed the justice that we deserved. He redirected it and offered us grace. So, what good is that grace that you've received? What do you do with it? Well, for one thing, you cherish it. You love it. You adore it. It's not like the gospel saves us. There's the good news here, Jesus saved us. I love it for a little bit, and then you move on. What do you do with that good? What do you do with that grace? It's like, you know, we had Christmas, and we took our kids to uh, Universal Studios, and we spent a ton of money on them. And it was like, you know, the whole day. And then we went to another, another theme park after that in Los Angeles, uh, Knott's Berry Farm. And we had this extraordinary two days, spent a lot of money. We're waiting in line. We're carrying them in line. And then at the end of those two days, they go, okay, what's next? bored. You're what? I just dropped like thousands of money on this trip. You're bored? 
What? Are you kidding me? I think we are in a dangerous position as Jesus followers, as Christ followers, when we take God's grace for granted. I think we are in a very dangerous position when we are not hot for Christ because of what Christ has done for us. We can't take the gospel, look at it for a few seconds, go, oh, this is really good, and then move on. What God has done for us as broken, in need of Savior sinners is we've got to cherish it. We have received something good. What do you do with that good? You embrace it. You use it to inspire you, to motivate you, and to move you to do what's good. Which leads me to my third point. God's grace leads you to offer grace and to do good works. We read in verses 7 through 8 this in in Titus. So that having been justified by His grace, meaning having been made right because we were not in a right relationship with God, He made us right. Having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that, and this is a key part, so that those who have trusted in God, you and I who are followers of Christ, those who have trusted in God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes it this way. He says, for we are God's handiwork. He created us. He made us. He wove us into this this perfection thing that he's, He's doing in our lives. We are His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is the good? What is the good that we're supposed to do? What is the good works that He's prepared in advance for us to do? In Micah 6, this is an Old Testament verse. In Micah 6, chapter 6, verse 8, it tells us what's good. And I want to warn you, I I think those of us who do justice and who love the work of justice, um, we take this next set of verses and it's like we dislocate it from the rest of the context of the Scripture and what Jesus has done. And I understand that it's an Old Testament verse, but uh, I think we are not serving the Scriptures right if we just pull it out of context and just use it. Because when I read it, if, if your whole life is just based on Micah 6, 8, then what you would have is a works-based religion. It's all about doing good works. But we've got to place Micah 6, 8 in the context of Scripture, in the context of the New Testament, in the context of what Jesus has done. And this is what it says in Micah 6, 8. What is the good that we've, what the, that's reserved for us? What is good works? Micah 6 tells us this. He has shown you, O mortal. Don't skip that. O mortal, not O gods. O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And from that verse, it seems like there's three things that we've got to do, right? Uh, To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's actually two things that God is calling us to do. There's actually two good things that He's moving us to do in that passage. The first is we walk humbly with God. Why do we walk humbly with God? Because we're mortal. 
We're man and women. We, there's nothing in us that could save us. We are human beings susceptible to judgment. We are human beings susceptible to judging other people. We are human beings who are susceptible to condescension and looking down on other people, which is what was happening in Israel, uh, the nation of Israel when this was written. They're saying, hey, that's the, all the injustice that's happening, the oppression, that's their problem. We have God. And so Micah says, whoa, 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 walk humbly with our God. You are a mere human being. You are susceptible to all these things. That is the good, is to walk humbly with our God. That's number one. The second thing is actually one thing that's combined, we think it's two. To act justly in the Hebrew is the action, it is to do something, it's to do the just, to do what's fair. Um, which is when he says to act justly, that's the action. The other part of that, when, it, when Micah says to love mercy, is actually a combination, a part of that first part, which is to act justly. Uh, and to love mercy is actually one word, and it's not the action, it's the attitude of the action. Which means to do it in a way, to act justly, to offer justice, and to do it in a way that is both loving and merciful. So, he, Micah is compelling us, walk humbly with God. You may think you know everything. You may think you know what's good for everybody, but maybe you don't. And the thing that I want you to do, Micah says, is to act justly, but to do it in a way that's loving and to do it in a way that's merciful. Because if we just exercise justice, it would be cold. It would just be eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You did bad, I'm going to punish you. You did good, I'm going to reward you. But Micah's saying, whoa, 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 take, take a bigger look at this. It's not just justice that we offer this world. It is a loving, merciful justice. Because we have received that. That's what we received. We didn't receive justice. We were lovingly and mercifully offered grace and Christ redirected his justice. So what are examples of good works? What are good works? I, I think it's pretty wide. I mean, if we look at what is unfair in this world, if we look at the injustices that's occurring in this world, I think it's pretty wide. In the Old Testament, however, in the Old Testament, there are four groups of people that God wants us to pay attention to. Four groups of people that God wants us to pay attention to, and four groups of people that keep getting um, brought up over and over and over again, especially in the prophets. Why these four groups of people? These four groups of people are the most vulnerable to injustice because they cannot defend themselves. They can't speak up for themselves. They can't do things for themselves because they don't have the boy voice or the status. So what are the four groups of people that the Old Testament wants us to pay attention to? It's the orphans, the widows, the foreigners that come into Israel, that, that are from out of Israel come in, the foreigners and the poor. And in the Old Testament, it gets repeated over and over again, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the poor, over and over again. He says, you want to do what's good, 
Look at those people because they cannot defend themselves. They cannot raise money for themselves. They cannot do it on their own. You as a privileged group of people, you have got to raise up, rise up, speak for them, offer them hope, offer them grace, offer them mercy, offer them love. That's the good works that we're trying to redirect the grace that we've, that's been offered to us. Those four groups of people I find to be true uh, in the Old Testament then, and I see it now too. I am most deeply moved, and for, it's going to be different for a lot of people, I am most deeply moved by human trafficking that's going on. Why? Because I have a daughter, and she's nine years old. And I could easily, I mean, if I was living in a, in a different country where there were no good laws and this is what's being promoted, wow, I could lose this nine-year-old girl. I have two sons that I want them to grow up not looking at women as pieces of meat or, or some toy or some object. I want them to view all people with the dignity and the humanity and, and, and the goodness and the image of God. I want my sons to grow up with that. To me, when I see young boys and young girls being sold to human trafficking, it moves me. It breaks me. I don't like it. And I want to see, not just that we're getting better and we're making progress in East Asia, I want to see it end. It's going to be different for you. What could God be saying to you in this area of injustice in the world? Over the next, next six or seven weeks, I want you to open your heart, open your mind, and see, how does God want me to move in this area? And we're going to have a great six, and seven, six to seven weeks here. Uh, on January 15th, I want you to join us. We're going to have a special guest speaker from International Justice Mission. And we're going to have a great time unpacking what this looks like, unpacking what it means for us as Christ followers to do the work of justice. Um, pick up this book. This is available for anybody in this uh, congregation, or if you're visiting, pick up a book. This is available to you. Uh, again, our series is not because of this book, but it is going to help you to understand God's heart for injustice. Now, here's my final application. Before doing any good work of justice, and I brought this up earlier, carry with you what Christ has done for you. Carry with you. Um, I think in, in the outline I, I, I said remember. Do more than just remember. Carry it with you wherever you go, especially when it comes to doing work here that God has for you. During my freshman year in high school, I thought everyone had to take a shop class. Does that still happen in high school? Do you still have to take a shop? I thought everybody had to take a shop class like, you know, electric shop or wood shop. I ended up, you know where I ended up? I ended up in a dark, dank basement of our high school uh, to do auto shop. I am not mechanically inclined, so I hated auto shop. I regret it now because it costs a lot of money to send my car to the mechanic. But back then, I'm like, I don't want to be in this dark, dank basement working on cars this is not my idea of fun. Uh, and I thought everyone had to take a shop class until I met a friend who said that if, you know, if you took an art class, you would be excused from shop. I said, really? 
So I marched from the basement of the high school, and I, wa- I wa- marched all the way to the top floor, which is where the art uh, studios were. And I marched all the way to the top floor, and um, I pleaded and I begged with one of the art teachers. I said, you got to get me out of here. I don't like shop. I hate shop. I am artistically inclined. I can show you proof. I love to draw. Get me out of here. And uh, Mr. Grace, I'm not kidding you. That was his name. That is his name. Mr. Grace, Claude Grace, African-American guy, looked at me and says, young man, what are you doing up here? And I was a scrawny little kid, you know, with greasy fingers and greasy hands. And I was like, please, help me get out of the basement. I just, I just want to draw. <laughs> so out of pity and out of mercy, Mr. Gray said, all right, I'll let you in. This was about three weeks into the school. I'll let you in. And then he did something that I thought, wow, that's amazing. He said, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to base your grade not on the assignments that you've missed, Starting from now, I'm going to base your grade on that. Basically, he excused me from the first two or three assignments that I'd already missed. And I just thought that was so awesome. I just thought that was so great. He took me from the basement of the school, took me to the top of the high school. We had this great view of Chicago. And, and I thought, my goodness, he's, and he's not basing my grade on what I've missed. And I thought, this is great. He freed me. <laughs> He, he let me do something that I like to do. And I remember all throughout that year, I said, no matter how bad the assignments he gives me, no matter how, how much I dislike whatever assignments he's given me, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what I can because this guy, he offered me grace. I mean, I wasn't thinking that way that it was grace, but I was just so grateful. I was so moved. I just thought, you know what, for the rest of the year, no matter how sucky these assignments get, I'm going to think about what he did. I'm going to carry that with me, and I'm going to do the best that I can. That's how it works for us as followers of Christ. We don't just remember God's grace. We carry it with us. So whatever good that he has placed in our hearts, we remember the grace he offered us, we remember the good that He's done for us. And that should be the thing that motivates us and drives us to offer grace and justice in a broken world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word that gives new life and breathes life into us. And we thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who is the one that's responsible for giving us new lives. And those of us who are followers of Christ, Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for the good that you have done in our lives. And God, my prayer this morning is that we not only hold on to it and remember it, help us, Lord, to cherish the grace that you have offered to us and that we have received. Father, we are undeserving of your goodness, yet you looked at us with love and you gave us what was good and gracious. Help us, Lord, in the next, next six to seven weeks to understand your grace even more, especially in the area of justice, especially as we unpack what this looks like and your heart in it. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.